Welcome to the Travel Worth Living podcast. Our mission is to help aspiring travel content creators make a positive impact with the stories they tell. We do this by sharing the how and why of content creation through practical and inspirational stories. Hey, what's up everybody? It is Seth here. On this week's episode, we dive into the why of travel content creation with Jenny Richardson. She's spent the better part of the past decade traveling and living abroad. She's been an English teacher in South Korea, a backpacker on a shoestring budget for about $30 a day, and is now working as a digital nomad, specializing in travel and sustainability content as a freelance writer and editor. During our conversation, we discuss travel writing and working as a digital nomad. Jenny shares some tips on how she has learned to be productive while working abroad, including her experiences with co-working spaces. She also talks about slow travel and why she's fallen in love with it and why travel in general is so important. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jenny. Let's go ahead and start with just telling us a little bit about where you are right now and what you're doing. Right now, I'm in Mexico. I'm in a city called San Cristobal. It's in Chiapas in the south. Um, And I've been in Mexico for most of 2021. Um, I'm a travel writer and editor. Um, I've been doing that for about four years and full-time for about three. And so I've been working remote since before the pandemic. So I moved here at the beginning of the year to not really travel, but to to live and still continue my my lifestyle, a digital nomad, uh, trying to get by with that in a pandemic. So it's been interesting. Um, Yeah, and I'll live in a place for like a, a month or more. And yeah, Airbnb or and find an apartment and have uh, find a little group of friends here of other digital nomads. So it's been nice. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, earlier you had kind of decided on Mexico yeah. because they've been the most um, open as far as this pandemic is concerned. Uh, yes, the borders never closed. I think for Mexico, so that was good. It's close by. I'm from Canada, so it wasn't that far of a flight. Beautiful here. I've been here. I was here four years ago, so. I've always wanted to come back, so I decided, okay, now's a, now's a good time. And it was kind of low-key when first got here. Like, obviously, tourism was down, but, uh, yeah, it's been really nice. And be you've been there for three months now? Uh, in San Cristobal, yeah. I've been yeah. here three months. Got you. In Mexico, I've been, yes, I got here in January <laughs> to escape the Canadian winter. And, uh, yeah, so I've been a few places like Merida, Oaxaca, Playa and, yeah, just kind of renting from like a room apartment from local people and then either working in a cafe or working from home doing that yeah and i kind of i i really want to talk again about the the co-working spaces because yes. we haven't talked a lot about that on the podcast um tell me tell me a little bit about why those are important and especially for digital nomads and kind of your experience with co co-working spaces yes so here one of the the bonuses when I, I'd always wanted to come to San Cristobal. And then when I heard they had a co-working space, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Um, in some cities, because of the pandemic, they were closed. Um, but there's a co-working space here where it's like, there's chairs like in a garden outside. So it's very open and there's a little office indoors, but the door is usually open. So um, good airflow and the, the chairs are spaced out. So it's, it, it's like a cozy atmosphere where you can kind of work, do your thing safely. So co-working spaces are, uh, they were a game changer for me when I first 
started being a digital nomad. I worked for about like I when I first started travel writing, I'd work maybe a few hours a day, had like a few small clients. So I'd get by working in coffee shops and then I'd travel, I'd volunteer in hostels to pay my room and board. And then I would just get by on, okay, work in a restaurant for a bit or a coffee shop. If I was in Canada, I would do the same. I'd go to Starbucks for the day, get work done. But then when I started to really commit to, okay, I'm going to live abroad, like work remote, co-working spaces had the, have the infrastructure that like coffee shops don't. And also you don't feel as guilty. Um, like I would go to places and I'll, I'd spend a lot of money and then you're taking up a whole table if you need like your laptop and then other things. There's some digital nomads who depends what you do. I'm a writer, so I just have a simple setup, but some who are web developers, they need sometimes two computers or you know, you have your mouse and you have other things and you need your charger. So it's not ideal when you're in like a tiny town and then you're using like all the Wi-Fi and all the stuff in a small shop. So when there's and a co-working space, it's how many coffees does it take <laughs> yeah. per hour to stay there? Yeah. Yes. Uh, like some, but well, sometimes like if they're really polite, you you know, you can get by on just buying one or two and then that's not great, right? Because then you're taking up too much. There was, I read, a, I saw a thing actually um, in Oaxaca, which is close to here. There's a lot of digital nomads there as well. And one of the coffee shops that I went to a few times, I I had like, I'd go for breakfast and then work for a few hours. And I remember they had posted a thing like, if you're going to come and work, please buy more than a drink, you know, for like eight hours. <laughs> so to like kind of get rid of that hassle of trying to find a new place to work every day and the stress of that, because I found that to be kind of stressful, like, oh, what if the Wi-Fi is down and you don't want to blame, you know, like a little local place like, oh, I, you know, I need to do this thing. Like, it's not their problem. Um, so co-working space is really set up for people from all over. You know, they could be local people who have need an office from that country or international people and they have it all set up the wi-fi is usually very fast and you pay like a monthly or a weekly or a daily rate depends on 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 the business obviously and yeah they're they're really great usually comes with like free coffee tea water and then they'll either have snacks or you can go out for lunch and come back they're usually pretty secure places so it's like an office where everyone kind of has their stuff so it's a safe space and everyone's kind of doing their thing so you can tend to be more productive when you're working in a co-working space because everyone's working. <laughs> you're like, I got to do this in a coffee shop. It's easy to like, nah, to get distracted. So yeah, and I'm finding more and more like this town used to, two years ago, they didn't have great Wi-Fi and they just got good Wi-Fi. So they opened one small co-working. I think there's another like just outside of town. It's a good business and it attracts, yeah, a lot of international people who want to live and work in a new place. So awesome. they're really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as far as pricing, kind of what's the overview yeah. on that, depending on where you are, of course, in the it world? It depends. Yeah. So it depends. It'll like coincide with the price of living and like the cost of living in, in a spot. So in, in Canada, in US, in Europe, they're more expensive. Like I, and, and it depends on what you get. You can buy a desk for, or you can buy a private office <laughs> for the month or just desk space. I worked in one gorgeous little office in Bangkok where just for the day pass for a desk was $10. That was really great. <laughs> um, yeah. So Asia and here will be relatively cheaper. The one I work at here is like 2000 peso a month. And that's where you have every day for the 30 days to work at. And, um, yeah, which is the equivalent of about a hundred dollars. Wow. So it's, it's good. Yes. You get your desk and your private Wi-Fi code. Usually they'll give you like a, yeah, your individual code every day. So it's more secure. Yeah, much more secure. There's also like co-living that there that some 
places are building as well will they'll mix a co-working office where everyone can use an office space and then pair it with like a hostel upstairs where you can rent a private room or a dormitory and also live with all the other people who are working online and stuff, um, which I've done a few times in Thailand. I was going to go to one in Spain that looked really nice, but that was then COVID hit. But yeah, so those are popping up. And it's also about community living, which I think is that's something a lot of people are interested in nowadays, like post pandemic, obviously. But yeah, something, the idea of community and collaboration, which also really helps when you're not just a digital nomad, but someone starting their own business. It's really inspiring to work with other people who've also done that. When I first started and I would, yeah, like I said, my first year working in coffee shops. And then my second year, I went back to Asia, started in Vietnam and I was in a hostel. So I was just with backpackers and uh, I'd go off every day and just like go to my coffee shop every (laughs) for the afternoon to work. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working. What do you do? I'm like, I'm freelancing. It was always hard to like answer that question because I was building what I was doing. I was building up my business, building up my brand. So I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. (laughs) So having to explain to people was weird. And then finally, a few months later, I moved to Thailand and I moved into a co-working and co-living space. And then everyone was doing what I was doing. (laughs) And it was like, oh, these events are at all the questions. People, you you didn't get those questions of, oh, how do you do this? And that you kind of just shared your own tips and experiences with each other on like what it was. And everyone kind of had that headspace of, oh, now we're in this city, but we're going to stay a few months or maybe the year. Uh, So you felt like you had stronger bonds and stuff. And yeah, I got even from like a lot of people younger than me got inspired by how they were building their their brand and okay, tips on the younger millennials. Okay, how do you do this Instagram thing? Oh, you have this podcast and all these things. So that I think if you're digital nomad, definitely start looking for places where you can travel to that have a co-working space, especially it depends on your job, but especially if you need to work a normal like eight hour day, um, definitely use a co-working space. You can always depend on your apartment and something for the Wi-Fi. Yeah. And I think that's so important having that community surrounding you, especially as a digital nomad, um, as an entrepreneur in general, you know, having people who are like-minded, that accountability network is so important because otherwise you just feel like, yeah, you're just doing your own thing and you may not be making enough money and you're like, they're just playing. Why do I have to do all this work and I'm not seeing anything for it? And yeah, it can be a very lonely loop. Um, so that's so important. And I think that's one of the strongest benefits of a of a co-working space. I'm kind of curious though, you kind of did a broad overview of your story focusing on the co-working space, but I'd like to back up a little bit and kind of work backwards. So right now you are a writer. What does your business look like? Do you do freelance for different brands? Do you hire out your services like on Fiverr or what is your travel writer brand? What does that look like? I try and do like different niches. Like I've done stuff on I've done articles on sustainability, which kind of ties into my my niche for travel that I like to write about or passionate about and also live out. Yeah, I've written about sustainability, um, about fitness, food, different things. So yeah, freelance writer, I have like a few regular clients, which has helped. Um, I'm an editor. I'm a marketing editor at Skyscanner. So I worked for them for three years freelance and I manage their um, content for Canada. So I'm the editor for that. So that's been my main gig. So that's the editing side. I also will create some articles for them as well. Yeah, so that's been my main my main gig is uh, 
is Skyscanner in the travel. And then I've done, yeah, a few other clients as well. I started travel writing after almost 10 years of traveling. So I had, I already knew a lot of things. And when I was hired as an editor for Skyscanner, yeah, like I was hired because I was on the road a lot. I had a lot of experience. And then I was writing content for Canada as well. So they trusted my know-how for travel and then like what Canadians look for. But yeah, so advice, I'm not really sure. I'd say like write it like build something that you're passionate about. I try and have my brand more of like mindful and sustainable travel. That's what my Instagram has because I try and live mindfully. I've always been like a slow, slower traveler. I've always focused on what can I do in a place or how can I make my footprint as least like bold as, uh, as I can, when I'm, when I'm in a new place, try and like lessen my footprint, you know, leave only footprints. Yeah. I've always had that mindset traveling. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love that your brand and what you do to make money aligns perfectly with your life. Cause I, I feel like that synergy is what's needed to be the most effective because you're going to be passionate about yes. what you do. Yes. You can't just, yeah, you have, and then like discover like why you're passionate about like, it takes a while. Uh, yeah, pa- I've learned like patience, like and stuff can evolve. So you, just because you've decided, oh, this is my niche or this is my thing, who knows, in a few months it might change or not necessarily change, just evolve and that's fine. Yeah. And before before you were doing that, you were working as a teacher, right? Yes, back like back in the day when Digital Nomad wasn't really a thing. <laughs> Yeah, kind of the only way to travel. <laughs> yeah, I'd kind of like Sorry, to what? go back and tell me, tell me how you got into travel. Now that we kind of have learned about where you're at right now, let's let's go back and tell me your story. Um, how did you? What got you interested in travel? Spark, spark the wonder. Um, spark, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what uh, university? Like I took a lot of environmental classes, and then I, I saw things that you could go somewhere and, and volunteer and work, uh, not necessarily as an expert, but work in sustainability. Um, so uh, then I went to Costa Rica and uh, lived in a t- like small beach, protected area, tourists couldn't go there, um, and you sign up for like a month and then you live in a small little place. And we like would monitor the turtles hatching we had, they were like experts, like local experts, like, um, in, in that field to who knew like the, the science behind it and how to protect them. And then we would just kind of help out, even if it meant like cleaning up the dorms and things like that. Um, so I focused on, yeah. So I learned how to like live very simply, but also in a beautiful place and travel slow. Cause I only saw like one beach in the month. Um, but it was the most beautiful private beach. So like, it was fine, <laughs> like more than fine. Um, and yeah, so that kind of sparked it. I was like, oh, I can. And then when I left, like, yeah, after a month, I was like, oh, a month seems like a lot, like, oh, a month away in a new country. It seemed overwhelming. But then once I was there, I was like, oh, this is now, this is now my life. I have a routine. <laughs> you know, I have this set up. I have like a simple work day and then I have new friends here. And then, yeah, when um, one of the the people on the project was like, we were on a boat. It was like a little like kayaking along the river because the, the, it was rainy season and there was no paved road. So we had to kayak out of the beach area. And he was like, you could just stay here with your work. Like you wouldn't have to pay. Like you just, you know, your room and board would pay for that. I was like, oh, this can be a life. Crazy. Um, 
And then, but I still went home. I had my return ticket. And uh, a year later, I went to China and volunteered for four months as an English teacher. And it was with the same company where they're doing like the volunteer program. Really loved that and like fascinated by the culture. And then that kind of like, oh, I can make a life of doing this. So that's what sparked it. And that was like over 10 years ago. And I've been on the road ever since. That's crazy. So it's kind of like that initial, wow, this is possible. That kind of pushed you out. And I th yes. like you were saying, when you started doing this, it wasn't very popular. I feel like it was kind of one of those, what, you live abroad as an expat? That's so crazy. But it's, it's kind of changed now, especially with technology. Uh, we're able to stay yeah, connected so much village. easier. The world is one global village. <laughs> I love right? that. I, had, yeah. I haven't heard that term before, but I love that. <clears throat> yeah. You're, yeah. And something else you mentioned is slow travel. Um, yeah, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about why you have fallen in love with slow travel. Yeah, I guess because I always did it. Like I never did like my first trip, my first time over an ocean was, yeah, to Europe. And then I was in this little like town in Germany for two weeks and stayed with local people. So, and I was like, oh, I never thought this would be my first. We went to like Munich for one day and I saw the sights, but, and even though I was kind of like, oh, it's not a typical Europe trip where I didn't get to see all the things that my friends saw on their high school Europe trip. And a bit of that was hard. I was like, oh, I wish I could do more. But then I was like, no, I got all these other things, <laughs> like all these great things. I was immersed in the local culture, as cliche as it sounds, but like I was, you know, and then I, I got to learn like the dialects and a bit of the language. And I was like, this was such a lovely experience of two weeks and so not typical of what you think like, oh, a trip to Europe would be. And I was like, oh, this is, I like this way. So I just kept on doing things that way, like traveling where I would go to visit a friend, you know, so that I'm staying with local people. And then when I started teaching English, I was like, oh, I'm going to live in a place and work. So you're showing up and working in, in a new country. You can't help but be immersed in the, in the low, in uh, what the lifestyle is there. So it would be, yes, low travel would be, okay, I'd stay for two weeks in one city or live in a place for a year or two. So I'd get to know that place well. And so because I started like that, like my first few, I guess, travel experiences were in that style. So it would be hard to do like a tour now where I just go in and out for... <laughs> for a day or two because I was I just started really seeing the benefits of yeah kind of a, a slower way to explore I remember one time yeah I did a trip to Mongolia and it was a week and a half we had and we signed up for like a week tour where you yeah you stay in a hostel in the capital and then they organize like and it's a, a local a local company um, and they have local guides and then they take people you need to do it that way. It's really hard to do it on your own. You can't really go rogue in Mongolia. There's no roads <laughs> unless you're a really, a really badass uh, motorbiker. You can't really do that. Um, but I remember doing this like week tour and then only went back to the city for a day and then had a flight the next day. And I was like, this is the shortest time I've been in a country. <laughs> I'm usually like in a place for a few. And I was like, I'm so sad. I didn't get to like even though I had seen so many amazing things, I was like, it's not enough. I just want to like chill in Ulaanbaatar for a week, even though people would think that's boring. Like I'd want to go to like the local coffee shop and yeah, explore more of the sites and meet more people and things like that. So yeah, I just, I like diving deep into places. So that's you, what slow travel helps you do. Yeah. Do you put any effort into learning the language? How is that? Yes, How is I your try. relationship with language? Great, but 
Yeah. I try to at least, okay, know the basics and always be polite and have that, please be patient with me, <laughs> you know, like never. Um, yeah, I'll learn like the basics before I go to a new place. And that's it. Like Spanish, I'm struggling with. And then when I was teaching English, it was hard because we were immersed in English all day, like in Korea. Um, yeah, Korea was a hard place to learn the language. Um, so yeah, I, I struggle with that. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's definitely <laughs> languages are hard, but I feel like language yeah. tells you so much about the local culture as well, um, because it does. What are they idioms, um, things that don't make sense, but yeah. yet we understand them. Um, every culture has has those. And it's very fascinating, you know, learning about those those different uh, pieces of language that kind of build the community that you're living in. So that's always interesting to me. Yes, no, totally. And like, and language is culture and the actual language, I find is mm -hmm. too. So like, mm -hmm. and um, like, especially in China, I'd meet people who, okay, they'd study Chinese. And I'm like, you can't like be in the States and study Chinese and then go to China. Like you won't, it won't work. <laughs> and it didn't work. I saw it fail like a bunch of times. <laughs> Because I was like, you need to learn because people's like the dialects are so unique, like in each place, even you go, you would go like to another village and they couldn't understand each other. And then there's so many things with the culture and people's mannerisms, which like you kind of only get when you live there. <laughs> so, yeah, like I found like and I've so I've been yeah, I'm, I'm good at getting like body language and vibes and I've kind of developed like another sense because I've lacked with the language. So I've, um, I have to be really focused if I'm getting to a new place, like really know where to go. Cause I can't depend. I know I can't depend on maybe asking someone or reading the signage or things like that. Um, and yes. I do, I have designed trips on or my travels on, okay, I'll go to a city cause I, I can, you know, understand the subway system and things like that. Yeah, sometimes I feel like when I'm listening to somebody talking a different language and I'm just tuned in and I know what they say, I'm like, oh, man, I understand what they say. And then I'm like, I literally yes. did not get that from the language. I just guessed it from everything going on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you kind of get that. I, I remember watching when I like lived in a little village in Thailand, like I um, and I lived with I stayed with these kids. Um, they were watching like primetime dramas at night and it was these like really obscure, like Thai things. And I was like, I get it. Cause they were, and the, the, it was so overdramatic. It was like a telenovela. So I was like, I get yeah. what's happening. They were like, teacher, like, you don't, you don't know, you don't understand. And I'm like, I can get it. Like it's yep. <laughs> because of, yeah, things like that. And you have to be, so I'm kind of on with that. So yeah, it's helped me hustle in, in, in that way. <laughs> Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you mentioned you also went to uh, Kyrgyzstan. Did I say that right? Kyrgyzstan? Yes. There's there's so <laughs> yeah, many, like was, Kazakhstan, yeah. Kyrg Kyrgyzstan. I know, so many stands. So yes. many stands. I've only been to that stand. When I was there, I was like, I need to see more stands. I regret only doing one stand. Because <laughs> um, a lot of stands seem really nice. <laughs> All yeah. the stands seem really nice. Um, and I feel like yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I feel like so many people are are scared of them too. Like Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, like um, a, a lot of them have like a war torn history, and people don't feel like it's safe to go there. But they're hidden gems. I haven't gone there myself, but I've I've seen a lot of people who do, and they're they're like it's beautiful. So yeah, I need to go 
visit the stands as well. And yes, well, Kyrgyzstan, I had just come back from like I was living in Korea for about two years and I was going to move back to Canada. Uh, so I did like a summer trip in between leaving Korea and going home. So that's when I was like, oh, I'm really, I'm close-ish. That's when I went to Mongolia. And I was like, oh, because there was a direct flight from Seoul to the capital. So I was like, oh, I'm close to these places. Like, I don't know when I'll be close again. So I, that's when I went. I'm like, I've wanted to go to these places for so long. So I'll go. And yeah, Kyrgyzstan was very safe, um, very affordable, very lovely. People were so hospitable. Like me and my friend hitchhiked a few times, like middle of the day, just because you had to, like there, we wanted to go to this little village and the only way was either like a marshuka like a little collectivo bus um and sometimes it was just like nope there's a road you need to hitch a ride to get to the main road and people would offer to take us and really lovely um yeah very safe there's some places where yeah like i wouldn't i wouldn't just show up in pakistan right now you know what i mean like or afghanistan you know what i mean like unfortunately even though like I'm uh, a pretty political person and I love history and stuff. So I read about what's happening all there. So it, and it looks very beautiful and it's, there is one blogger like lost with purpose and she's like young solo female travel blogger. And she, she mostly goes to like, like she'll go to like Pakistan, um, Afghanistan, North Africa, North India. Yeah. She'll go to place and like, and Russia and she'll just camp solo she's well, pretty badass. Um, wow. and seeing her, I was like, Oh, maybe I could do it. Like she's super inspiring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kyrgyzstan was, if you're going to do like a beginner stand, anyone who wants like a beginner stand, do Kyrgyzstan. I think I picked the right one for wanting to do it. And, uh, Kazakhstan looked real nice too. I just didn't, we didn't go because I went with an American friend of mine and, um, yeah, I just, Canadians needed a visa. So I didn't go, but we, if I, we could have, I was like, I don't want to spend $100 to go for like a day uh, for a visa. But that also looked really nice. And Uzbekistan, there's also other bloggers uh, who, yeah, there's a few bloggers who've done like Tajikistan and motorbikes and stuff. It's like, I think it's the last frontier. Like it's so gorgeous. And there's still some like, yeah, definitely, like you said, like gems, like really beautiful and beautiful people, interesting culture. Really, really lovely. You could, if you if you're Russian, you could go because they're all Soviet nations too. So in Kyrgyzstan, like they were speaking to us in the Russian because <laughs> they didn't know whether they don't see many foreigners. They're like, oh, Ruski. We're like, no, we're not Russian. Um, but because that's yeah, so I was like, oh, this was a Soviet place. So yeah, if you know Russian, you get by there. Interesting. Yeah, and speaking of hitchhiking and you know that other blogger solo traveling, what are some things that you do as far as travel safety when you're traveling? Yeah, hitchhiking, like, that's with, yeah, I guess within context. Like, I think the first time I didn't even realize that I was doing it, it was just because I felt so comfortable and safe. And it was like, this is the only way to get from A to B mm -hmm. is because this person, like, because we're asking for a lift from this person. I think it was in Thailand, and Thailand's, like, the safest place ever. So it was fine. So I, that's how I started. Um, but it was more because, okay, I knew beforehand, like, I feel safe it's during the day. <laughs> I, and I was with someone else. So they're like, Hey, you know, you're fine. So yeah, for safety, like I like to travel a lot in cities because I do think they're relatively, even though people think the opposite, I think they're relatively safer because there's more people 
Mm-hmm. So you could walk around and there's eyes on the on the street all the time. And I, I'll try and like if I'm moving to a new place, okay, I'll try and stay as close to the center as possible, even if it means can you pay a little more. And I, yeah, I like to be in cities because I don't like driving or anything. And not like even here, I wouldn't rent a motorbike. Um, so I like to go to places where I can walk around and be close to a, a market for food, for a coffee shop, to a co-working space. So yeah, I'll plan like accommodation is like the prime thing is location. <laughs> And it's more for like safety as a woman. Like if I have to go home at night, okay, am I on? Is it easy to get a cab? Or if I feel safe, like to walk, but then at night, obviously I take a cab. Things like that, like you have to plan. It's just that other level you have to kind of always think of, which I think is innate in a lot of just women in general. And then solo female, you do have to have your wits about you all the time. But that's kind of just in life. But yeah, travel, I'll I'll prioritize like going to places where know where I'll be around like more people and meet friends so then if you're walking with other people it's usually safer things like that got you yeah I love it well I I kind of want to is there anything any other stories that you had on the top of your head because you're in Iceland I <laughs> flew to Reykjavik airport once yeah going home I was like yeah this was at, this was that like Kyrgyzstan trip and then Kyrgyzstan and I did like Europe for a month mostly like Central Europe, and then the cheapest way to get back was Berlin, Reykjavik, Canada. Um, yeah, Iceland and Canada are super close. Yeah, It was like three hours in between, like seeing like Newfoundland to that. Um, but yeah, I had booked a window seat because I was like, I want to see Iceland when we fly in. And people had taken the seat when I, before I got like, on the like when I was getting on the plane people were in my seat and then like oh like they did a story which I still think of I'm like I should have said no (laughs) but they're like oh I have a fear of flying I have to sit here and I was just like it was early in the morning I was like okay and then when I saw them like looking like when we landed I was like this is a really gorgeous view I was like I don't I hate you (laughs) so I've never seen and then the flight out you didn't see much like we just and I was like oh so I never yeah I regret not not seeing Iceland from the plane. I'm oh, still scared. So I, I have to go back. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone pulls that on the plane, anyone say no. If you book a window seat, you get your window seat. Right. Screw everyone. Don't be, don't be polite. It's yeah, a hard world. No, coming. Fend for yourself. <laughs> it's a dog eat dog world out there. It is. Um, yeah, no, coming from, coming from Europe, you fly along the South coast. So you see it all. But then once you, leave out of there then you leave iceland immediately after you take off so. yeah so i was like oh maybe that yeah maybe i'll see some on the way out because i had booked a window seat for the way out as well and then it was nothing i was like right away ocean i'm like yep those jerks yep. <laughs> it still haunts me to this day i'm like oh, why did i do that i'm too nice <laughs> yeah but it looked really uh, gorgeous i want to go one day it was like really 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 nice yeah <laughs> you'll definitely have to um, black licorice also, a lot of black licorice on the plane. That's like a specialty, I think, for Iceland, which I was very intrigued by. <laughs> yeah. Um, licorice like and thing. chocolate. We mix it a lot here. Yes. I bought sea salt, chocolate, and licorice at the airport. And it was the gr- two greatest snack items I've ever eaten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, they also have some weird food here, but I really like the chocolate and licorice, so... <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I, remember, I still remember them. It was like four years ago, like five years ago. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Iceland. Who knew? Black licorice. 
Yep. Well, hey. The blue stay for the black licorice. That's their new slogan. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the colors here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, hey, as we wrap up, um, I'd kind of like to go back to, again, you know, this podcast is focused on travel content creators, but on a larger sense, digital nomads as well. And you said something really profound uh, in in the form that you'd filled out. And I really want um, to kind of go back to the call to action for the audience, like somebody who's trying to build their brand or wanting to create a, a full-time travel lifestyle. What is some advice that you'd like to leave them with? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a big thing is like, think of your why, like, why do you want to start this? Why do you want to start traveling? And then once you have your why, then your message to your potential audience will come and it'll have purpose. And maybe the why might be like, I don't know, I'm doing it. Maybe not for a good reason. Then you can like rethink it because it'll be more sustainable if there's meaning to it. And yeah, it'll, and if you, and you'll be more passionate about it and then you, it'll make you be a better traveler, even a better like content creator. Cause you'll know you won't and don't get, yeah, we can all get anxiety over okay you have to produce like so much content or this or oh my god this person's drone footage is so good how am I going to beat that with my little camera but like people at the end of the day I think do value authenticity so bring you to your platform and to your travels and show up that's the best advice I could give yeah absolutely love it all right well I'm going to wrap up here with the travel trivia section and now it's time for travel trivia. Travel trivia coming your way. What's your favorite city that you visited? So unfair, I know. But it's such a good question. So many. Okay, I'm just going to like, okay, Seoul. 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 Because it has everything. Yeah, Seoul is the best. The Seoul um, of Korea. I, ne I never lived there. So I and I visited a lot. Yeah, I lived in another city. So I got to visit Seoul and I visited Seoul a decent amount <laughs> every month. I would take like the bullet train up to Seoul, which was a lot like for most people, if they live there a year, they do like one or two trips. Yeah. I, I'm a city gal. I love big cities. So I love the hustle and bustle. Uh, New York city was also a big city for me. I just, even though it's like such a big tourist destination, it's just the best. Uh, you can't, it'll always be the best. And yeah, Seoul. So it has, it has, city vibes like all those lovely city vibes but also korea designs their cities where like like each little neighborhood it's like a village so you don't feel like you're in one place where like that's the cluster of people and that's it like there's no downtown it's all the neighborhoods so seoul is a lot of lovely neighborhoods where you can just you know spend your weekend in one part and just get to know that and then it's a mountainous, it's surrounded by mountains, so you can go on a hike, so you're immersed in nature also right away. Uh, so many great museums, so much great food. People are lovely, it's safe. Yeah, solo females, Korea is where it's at, to like for, for safety and stuff. It's one of the most safest countries in the world. Love it. And this is kind of a broad question, but if you could live anywhere, or I should say not could, but if you had to live anywhere in the world permanently, where would you want to live? New York City, hands down. What is? I the... feel like I'm, I'm I'm a New Yorker, but born but born in the wrong place. <laughs> I love it. What is the worst food that you've ever tried? 
so Chinese food is like iconic, right? But, and people who lived in China, they'll agree. Like you can have like the best meal ever, but for some odd reason, you could also have the worst meal ever. It's like a hit or miss if you have like local Chinese food. And I think one time it was like, like all like with all my friends teaching, we were just like, what? Well, we finished, we, we ate, I even for, like, I forget what it was because I blocked it. Like it was just weird. I'm vegetarian, so I don't eat a lot of meat. So I feel like that saved me from a few awful things where I'm like, oh no, I can't eat that. But maybe it was like a seafood thing, like a weird crab. And then it was mixed with like a vegetable, like that just didn't work. It was like a very sour, bland kind of meal where like we went to that restaurant and that's what they offered. I honestly forget. Yeah, that would probably be one of the worst meals I had. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> um, if you could change one thing about travel, what would it be? It would be interesting to like no internet for a month and see how. <laughs> see Because <how laughs> we, we depend, I think, a lot on that. Like mandatory, have a guidebook and a paper map and no internet. See what happens. The rest of the world, the internet, just the travelers, just the like backpackers, like hand, like just that. Have some, yeah. That would be interesting. Um, it sounds like a reality I, show. So, yeah, I think it would help. Ooh, good idea. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that might help change travel for the good in a little way because it would uh, wrestle some feathers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Things like that. Like it would really, yeah. Absolutely get people to rely on their instincts and communicating instincts, with other yeah, people. We gotta, yeah, that would be lovely, right? Yeah, so I think I would change, like less dependability on internet and travel would be nice. Nice. Uh, next section, this or that. Would you prefer travel by train or bus? It was so funny. I was talking about this yesterday and we're just like, there's nothing like, and with a friend here, she's from Ukraine and she was talking about like the trains and the, you know, trains in Ukraine and Russia. I'm just like, oh, the best okay like train but i do like how you can always take a bus somewhere like there's always a bus to a place so i like that aspect but for the travel experience train hands down i'm all about train travel i have friends who, like live in vietnam i'm like why are you not taking that train all the time like <laughs> why would you like oh the flight for 50 bucks it's an hour to get from you know the north to the south i'm like there's a train and you could see all the beautiful things like it's the greatest and it's affordable and even if it takes a day but it's a day where you're just seeing the coolest stuff ever and you know hanging out with people on a train that's the dream yeah train travel yeah. by far uh beaches or city yeah i have to say city just because i feel like yeah there's beach people and city people like i'm a city person who doesn't love a mm -hmm. beach like of course we we're mostly water so we feel most free i think by the water but mm -hmm. yeah city do you prefer solo travel or group travel it depends start solo and then find a group hmm. can i have both i think that's good <laughs> do you would you prefer deep ocean diving or mountain climbing mountain climbing i've never scuba dived i'm scared really <laughs> I'm scared. I'll yeah. snorkel. I've never like done the certification or anything. Uh, yeah, so mountains. Do you prefer Nikon, Canon, or Sony? Serious question. I have a Sony. I have to say Sony. Sony, Nikon, Canon. I like Nikon. I feel like it's artsy-esque, but I like my lenses. Sony has some really good lenses. Uh, yeah. Sony. Yeah. 
Sony's Sony's pretty amazing. Yeah. Do you prefer boats or airplanes? Boats. Overland, I like to overland when possible. Like I like to limit, I think it's part of the slow travel thing as well and sustainability. Mm-hmm. I do love an airport. I love the energy in an airport, but I don't take it for the amount I guess I travel. Like I really don't take a lot of planes. And when I do a trip, I try and overland, just bus or train or whatever. Yeah, so boats. And boats are so fun. Get yeah. to see dolphins. <laughs> do you prefer a strict schedule or go with the flow? Go with the flow. Totally. And are you more of a planned tours person or random exploration? Random. I think my life has been one random exploration. Yeah. Even though like a planned tour, I used to be like a bit of a more like a bit more of a travel snob. Like, oh, I don't want to do a tour. But like if you find a local tour, like sometimes that's like, oh, I'm going to do it on my own. And I'm like, no, sometimes tours have a place in time. And especially if it's local people showing you stuff, I'm like, you kind of it's their land have them show it to you you know um so i think tours if it's like a niche and uh, not a niche like more like yeah or a boutique tour yeah small tour i'm not with like big coach bus thing more just small local tours yeah those and i the, feel like i don't really like those and there's a need for those you know yeah. yeah i feel like the gig economy has really changed that because um now you don't have to go to school to become a tour guide and then you know, they yeah. show the tourists like this tree and then they sell you this gadget, whatever. Like now anybody in any country can just open up their home and be like, hey, let's cook a local meal together. And it yep. really brings that authentic um, experience yeah. to life. So, yeah, absolutely agree. Last question that I ask everybody, what makes travel worth it to you personally? What do you learn about the world from being on the road? Um, yeah, the lessons you learn. Seeing how, if, if you if you let it, it'll open your mind. And um, yeah, the things I've learned on the on the road about helped develop like my own personal philosophies and my worldview. Like it shaped everything. So it's been totally worth it. Yeah. Thank you for being a part of today's conversation. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast and come find us on social media at Travel Worth Living. This episode was edited and produced by Agnes Gretostotter with music by Vlad Glushenko. I'm your host, Seth Sutherland, and this is Travel Worth Living.